I'm Michael Dunn, and you're listening to Oregon Rainmakers on KLCC. My guest today is our region's newly elected member of Congress, Val Hoyle. No stranger to our community, Hoyle has served as both the state legislature's House Majority Leader and Oregon's Labor Commissioner. We're going to talk about her expectations as she heads to Washington and what her goals will be in representing the district back home. Well, Val Hoyle, welcome. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. So um, let's start looking back over the campaign. What do you think were the messages from you and your campaign that most resonated with with voters? I think the messages that most resonated with voters were talking about my history of delivering for the district. People here know me. They know that I I will stand up for working families and jobs, and they voted for me before. The fact that I had support from every part of the district and bipartisan support um, mattered a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, you were in D.C. last week for orientation, and I imagine it must be <laughs> a whirlwind. But give us a give us a, a kind of a snapshot of what that was like. It was. It was pretty intense. So there are, uh, you know, from Sunday night all the way on through Friday, uh, we were meeting people, learning things, walking places. There's a lot of walking. Um, And um, myself, Andrea Salinas, Lori Doremer um, were all there from Oregon. So we had a we had a good Oregon contingent. The week started out with a a dinner and um, tour of the Capitol. So it was the Capitol at night, and there were a couple of really, you know, it was quiet and a couple of very profound moments for me. Um, the The first part was going into the places that had been attacked on January 6th and just seeing them rebuilt, and it just, to me, felt like, you know, as a country, we've really, we're very resilient. And then walking onto the floor of the house was so powerful. Like, that's when it really hit me that I, I was going to be able to serve here and standing um, on the floor of the house where so many great people um, have stood and served. It it's, um, really hit me what an honor it is to be able to represent the people of the 4th. Sure. And and one of those great people you, you talked about, and I want to get into this, is there's a big transition happening now, especially among the, the Democratic caucus. And I wanted to get your sort of feelings on, you know, a, 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 a real pioneer, Nancy Pelosi, is, is, is stepping down. What does that mean to you in terms of, of both maybe some sadness for her for her leaving, but also kind of excitement for new leadership? What What are your thoughts around that? Well, I had the opportunity to be on the floor of the House when um, Speaker Pelosi gave her her speech saying that she was resigning. She wasn't running for her leadership position again. And she has been a pioneer in so many ways, the first woman speaker, but just such a strong leader. I just remember during um, the campaign season, people kept saying there was going to be a red wave. And every single time... I saw or heard from Nancy Pelosi. She was saying, don't, don't give up the fight. We need to keep fighting in every single district. And she was right. I mean, what happened was the American people said, we're really sick of the dysfunction, and we would like um, people in Congress to go there and actually govern. And that was loud and clear. And so as a woman, I would have loved to have been able to serve with Nancy Pelosi in leadership. But um, that transition to Hakeem Jeffries, uh, Hakeem Jeffries is a, a young leader and, um, you know, just uh, someone 
who I think can bring a different perspective as a black man and a person of color. And he is, um, he'll be a tremendous leader as well. But Nancy Pelosi passed more legislation, over 900 bills, when she had a four-person majority. When you think about the great things, whether the infrastructure package or um, the Inflation Reduction Act, all of that happened. Any other speaker who had passed major legislation, right, whether it was the New Deal or the civil rights bills, they had hundreds of, of people in their majority. She did all that with four people. She is a tremendous leader, and I, um, yeah, we're going to miss her. Are there maybe not so much lessons from from her leadership style, but are there are there elements of of, of what she meant and, and and also the leadership team that she assembled that you as a newcomer coming in want to make sure that that's preserved or continued? I think what Nancy Pelosi did was she did the work and she unflinchingly, unabashedly um, stood up for her principles. And I think if you remember what your values and principles are and you remember who you're there to represent, everything else is pretty easy. I mean, that gives you a great filter for deciding what to do. The other thing is Nancy Pelosi did the work, and that's what I'll do. It's what I've always done. I'll show up. I'll put my head down. I'll do the work and make sure that, um, you know, I can fight for the district. And, and speaking of doing the work, and, and I know you're just beginning, but, you know, if you could give us a, an idea of what are your, from a 30,000-foot view, what are some of your priorities as you move into this, 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 this new opportunity for yourself? So my priorities in coming in um, after an incredibly strong, successful congressman, I mean, Peter DeFazio has been an exceptional representative in my mind for this district. And it's a district that is very diverse, very conservative areas, very progressive areas, and a lot of, you know, people in between, blue-collar people who just want good jobs and want government to work. Um, My priority will be, um, hopefully, I don't know what committees I'll be on, but will be on transportation infrastructure, I would love to continue um, Oregon's voice and the 4th Congressional District's voice on that committee. And to that end, making sure that we get investment in the container port in Coos Bay and upgrades to rail that will allow us to get our goods to market and from market um, by rail as opposed to um, using diesel trucks. The other thing is I hope to serve on the Education and Labor Committee um, as the I will be the only former labor commissioner serving in Congress in either house. And as someone who, and I'm very open about this, um, struggle to navigate the education system with a learning disability, with dyslexia, I have an important voice, and I'd like to work to expand the apprenticeship model so that we can teach kids the skills they need for the 50% of jobs that need more than a high school diploma, less than a college degree, in a way that they can... um, we can teach them in the way that they learn. So education, labor, standing up for working families and making sure we get investments in infrastructure. And and the Transportation Infrastructure Committee is one of the committees that still operates in a bipartisan manner. Well, and certainly what what Congress was able to pass and, and one of uh, President Biden's uh, main objectives was the infrastructure bill. Um, where do you, what more can happen there, do you think, and that, that you might be able to be a part of? Well, we're waiting to see um, if we will be um, given money in the, the mega grant proposal that would help us um, 
building building the port. Sure. Um, also, there is there were there was a lot of money that was allocated. So on the transportation and infrastructure committee, I could be a voice in making sure that. Um, that those that the projects that we need, whether it's the dam in Newport, the levee in Springfield, um, you know, investment in roads and bridges throughout Lane County and the rest of the district or the port, that we make sure that those things happen and that the federal government delivers on its part. Okay. Turning to labor, obviously it, it, it Unions have been seemingly having a moment. You're seeing that where there, where there se- seems to be a lot of organizations, a lot of uh, smaller parts of organizations unionizing. Kind of uh, if you were on the, the, the labor committee, I mean, can that continue to grow? And, and do you see an opportunity for uh, uh, unions and unionization to, to have more power in, in, in the marketplace going forward? Yes, I think it's essential. I mean, when you say unions are having a moment, um, you know, the last time they had a moment was when we built the middle class after World War II, right? Unions are, are, are organizations that allow workers to have a voice. And I think that many times uh, labor management relations are presented as if they always have to be adversarial. And I don't think they do. But a lot of the jobs that will be coming, like the 9,000 jobs that will come in Coos, Douglas, and Lane County, many of them will be union jobs, whether it's building the port or managing the rail or, or anything else. I think that it's important that Workers have a voice. I, um, you know, I am where I am because of the labor movement. My grandfather came over and was one of the founding members of the laborers' union in New York. My father was president of the firefighters' union and fought for better wages, hours, and working conditions so that I could be the first person in my family to go to college. I was a member of the hotel workers uh, union, and I met my husband there. So, I mean, you know, good things come <laughs> from from labor unions. <laughs> That's right. Um, you're you're going to D.C. at a time of great divisiveness in in, in our country, and certainly a, a major shift in in leadership in uh, in Washington D.C. <sighs> How hopeful are you that um, you and your caucus can reach consensus with the other side? Well, the other side is a broad umbrella. I I see a lot of times on the news, Democrats are consistently asked, well, how are you going to reach across and work in a bipartisan manner? But, you know, on Fox News, because I look at the news from all sources, I very rarely do I see Republicans being asked, and how are you going to work in a bipartisan manner, right? (laughs) So um, I came into the legislature when it was tied 30-30, and you couldn't get anything done without cooperating with someone from the other party. So, And and as labor commissioner, I work well with business and with labor. So I work well with people who... um, are of a different party, right, or have different ideas. And that's necessary in this district. This is the 4th Congressional District could not be, wouldn't vote for someone who was either, you know, far, far left, well, just, you know, only appealed to Democrats or only appealed to Republicans. It's a, it's a mixed district. So I will, I think the American people spoke in this election and they spoke very clearly. They said, stop the dysfunction, start working together and get things done. I think whether it was January 6th or, um, 
the 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 threats and attacks on other members of Congress, right? They're tired of it. They're tired of the crazy. So they spoke very clearly, and the Republicans had a number of people that were elected from moderate districts saying that they would be moderate. Well, if they're not, if their party um, and and the the next uh, speaker, let's assume it's Kevin McCarthy, decides that he has to give in on all negotiations to the Freedom Caucus, well, then there's no way that these people in moderate in moderate districts will get reelected. But what we saw with Jamie Herrera Butler, right, who dared to stand up to Trump, um, she was primaried by someone more conservative and Republicans lost the district. So I don't know how you, as, as the Republican leader, address the needs um, of the Freedom Caucus and the and the Marjorie Taylor Greene wing of the party and still allow your moderate members to vote in the way that their district sent them to, I will reach across the aisle to work with anyone that will work with me on things that benefit the 4th Congressional District and our country. You talked earlier about, you know, doing the work and and putting your head down and doing the work. And and it seems like... Unfortunately or fortunately, depending on your point of view, a lot of legislators get sort of their national recognition is, is, is elevated by being very, very aggressive and, and going on news programs to talk about things versus doing the work. But it sounds like you realize that, that being a, a someone who is very much wants to introduce important legislation and stuff, how do you – I guess the question is, you know – do you think you'll be able to do that in this climate, to be able to actually introduce legislation, do the work? Do you think that our environment still allows for legislators to be able to do that and, and not have to run over to the CNN or Fox News or MSNBC and, 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 and say, look at me, look at me? Yeah, I, I have, um, you know, the, my reputation is, you know, is as a, a workhorse rather yeah. than a show horse. Just, you know, to, to my detriment sometimes, you know, as a when I go to run for office. But I don't know. It depends how the Republican leader, the next speaker, chooses to lead. Um, they ran on saying they wanted to fix the economy and address homelessness and crime. And yet the first thing they did when 218 seats, you know, were awarded to the Republicans was come out and talk about all the investigations they were going to do on impeaching Joe Biden and Hunter Biden's laptop and, you know, Fauci and all of these things. They didn't say a word about the economy. They didn't say a word about a solution. And, you know, in an off presidential year, the party that is in power normally loses and loses big. There is a very thin majority. And that was the American people speaking, saying, we want to stop with the drama. We want people to get to work. I hope that Republican leadership will allow um, for bipartisan work to get things done. And it isn't just going to be uh, another session where everything is intractable and where it's dysfunctional and where there are more... There are people, and I, I think it's the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world, who want to break government and break the process more than they want to get things done. So it is really up to leadership in the Republican Party, but I'll do what I've always done, which is put my head down, get to work, and figure out who the people are that I can work with um, to make things happen and bring bring home 
the priorities of this district. Sure. I know it's early and, and you haven't even started yet, but to that to that point about what things you can do, do you have some general ideas of which your caucus might be able to help with improving the economy or, or keeping it at, at a good state, but also addressing inflation and, 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 and the, the difficult time businesses are having finding employees right now? So um, this happens to be my bailiwick okay. <laughs> as the labor commissioner. Um, I think the Inflation Reduction Act put, put forward some really important things that will help us um, address inflation and bring inflation down, um, although it is a, a worldwide issue and inflation in, in our country is is less than in many others. But we need to address it. I think investments in infrastructure can bring jobs uh, in terms of how do we work with employers to fill those um, the, the workforce needs. I think we look to apprenticeship programs for those jobs that need more than a high school degree, less than a college degree, we can really use an apprenticeship model. And and I'd like to see that expanded. We've done that here in Oregon in firefighting, behavioral health, addiction and mental health services, early childhood ed, as well as the building and construction trades. So um, I'd love to continue to work with employers on how we you know, build a pipeline of, of people to get into jobs that they might not even know are available because there are good opportunities. And I think that um, like the Coos Bay Port Project, which will create 9,000 good paying jobs, and that's just directly, um, you know, when you have people who are able to earn a good living and you rebuild the middle class, which is really what we need to do in a lot of our communities. I mean, once the timber jobs left, we lost our our, our opportunity for these middle class jobs. You build a middle class and get these jobs filled. People start making more money. They start living better. And, you know, that does better for everyone. So that's what I will continue to work on. You know, obviously a a, a big issue in Oregon is – Housing affordability, and then at the other uh, kind of the other side of that issue is 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 a growing homeless population. And I know that those are very complex issues that can't be solved in 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 one legislative body. But generally speaking, what are some ideas that you think could help with a, a problem that seems to be growing and growing? So there's um, most of the the on the ground things that can be done rest with the city sure. and the county and the state. I do have a very strong relationship with um, incoming Governor Tina Kotek, so I will work with her on what we can do um, from the federal level, whether it's, you know, ensuring that um, HUD is doing their job. I would like to see us expand the Section 8 program. I mean, I know people with disabilities that, that have contacted me in my other capacities that are waiting 10 years to get into housing, and these are people that, you know, need housing and otherwise could lead productive lives. So we need housing, but we need housing at all levels. It's not just low-income housing, supportive housing, right, addiction and mental health services, which the federal government can help partner with local communities. But it also is we don't have enough middle income housing, right? We just don't have enough housing and we don't have enough workforce housing. So I've worked with companies up and down the coast um, where they're building workforce housing because there aren't enough places for people to live. As bad as things are here on the coast, 
they're that much worse. So I think we need to figure out how to build more housing for the people that are here and um, find a way to support and get services to the people who um, need them um, and will avail themselves of that. And fundamentally, one thing I've worked on in my entire career is ensuring that people get the mental health services that they need, um, which, you know, whether that's a hospital, a residential home, supportive services, um, but access to mental health care equally to physical health care. Okay. In addition to just who you are and how you operate, is there sort of one sort of overriding success you had here in Oregon that you want to bring to Washington, D.C., whether it was as labor commissioner in the, in, in the legislature that you think that worked and I know that that can work at the federal level? I mean, there's so many things, whether it's raising the minimum wage, expanding access to paid sick leave. Um, but in the House, the thing that I did that even though there were many things worked on on clean energy projects and you know move having Oregon move away from coal the thing that i did that was most personal and most proud of was ensuring that every student first grader in Oregon um, gets screened for dyslexia or visual processing disorders. I know that that's something that I struggled with, and I wanted, I wanted to make sure that every student had an opportunity to get taught in the way that they were able to learn. Um, as labor commissioner, I worked to expand the uh, apprenticeship, both access to apprenticeship um, for people who don't traditionally get into the trades and then also outside the building and construction trades. So I'd like to work on those things. And then, of course, investment in infrastructure, which is something I worked on in the legislature as well. Listening to you talk, I'm thinking, how important is it for somebody of your stature, state, statewide stature, and, and now a national profile, to be able to confidently bring attention to something that you that that you had overcome dyslexia, how how important is that for for our younger generation to see somebody being very upfront with that and talking about solutions and talking about ways in which um, you can succeed despite that issue? I I think it's really important, and I know that um, when we were working to pass the bill. It didn't have the votes in committee, so I went down, and it was the first time I had publicly shared what my struggles were, and I shared what it was like to be in school and not being able to learn and how hard that was because I could I could learn, but just not the same as other people, and what it took for me to be able to succeed, and it was a teacher in the resource room who actually told me that I would have to work harder, but that I would be I, – I should try – college prep courses where I had been, you know, put on a track that that wasn't available. So that matters. You know, I think people's experiences, whether it's Andrea Salinas as a a first generation American and a Latina or Lori, Lori Dreamer, both of them, Lori Chavez Dreamer and Andrea Salinas, Latinas, their perspective as women of color, right, or as first-generation Americans, as Latinas, is important. My experience is also important because there's a tremendous amount of people who have those same struggles. And I know that after I gave my testimony, um, a lot of parents who had dyslexic children, a lot of students who had those struggles saw me and I was able to talk with them. And it just kind of gave them hope because you can be it if you can see it. So if we have people there with 
those different you know lived experiences for lack of a better term with those different lived experiences it gives hope to kids that maybe have those struggles well, yeah um I know a lot is sort of out of your control once you get to D.C. and committee assignments and stuff, but do you have a general idea or, or at least a general desire? What is the one or two things you want to do first when you get to D.C. or what you'll be allowed to do first once sort of the logistics are handled? So I want, I want to be clear. We have had the great benefit of having an amazing congressman, you know, one of my political mentors and friends, Peter DeFazio, for 36 years. And he was the ranking member and then chairperson of the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee who passed an, um, you know, a major transportation bill. As a freshman, I am not going to have that kind of seniority sure. or, or power or authority, right? So I'm going to figure out, hopefully I will be able to get on the Transportation and Infrastructure and Labor and Education Committees. That would be my hope. But wherever I land, I will work to make sure that, um, you know, Oregon Oregon gets its share of investments in transportation and infrastructure. Oregonians send their tax, tax dollars to D.C., and we don't get back as much money as we put in. So I want to make sure that we get the money back that we put in to invest in things that will benefit generations and then work to expand the apprenticeship model and um, work to see how we can, um, you know, improve how we deliver education. The last question I have for you is, um, as you embark on this new journey, what are you most hopeful about? I have to say this election gave me hope. Hmm. I did not know what I was going to be walking into, but if there had been a really big red wave and the Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Bobart, Matt Gates of the world were running their party, people who have openly said that, you know, Democrats should be put in prison or, you know, what or killed, right? Like I people who supported January 6th. I was uh, I did not I was afraid of what I was walking into, and I was wondering, will we even count the votes, right, in the 2024 election? But the results of this election were clear, and the American people stood up and said, enough. We believe in democracy. We believe in sending congresspeople there to do the work, and we want to stop this craziness. We want to stop the divisiveness. We're sick of it. Um, and we saw it across we saw it across the country in Democrat and Republican districts. So I have hope going in that we can make Congress work and we'll be able to deliver for our people the way that I think the job was intended. And that's what gave me the most hope is what the American people chose in this election. And I'm just deeply honored to be able to do this job. Well, Val Hoyle, congratulations on your victory and uh, thank you so much for coming into KLCC. Thank you. That was our conversation with Representative-elect Val Hoyle. She's heading to a deeply divided Congress, but she brings with her a determination to do what's best for the 4th District in Oregon. This has been the Oregon Rainmakers podcast on KLCC. I'm Michael Dunn, your host. Thanks for listening.